So this morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. We're going to finish up the chapter, uh, verses 38 through 42. It's a story that we're probably familiar with, Martha and Mary. No? You're not familiar with the story? (laughs) Oh. Uh, So Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Martha has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Let me pray. Father, thank you for uh, this text here. Thank you for your word Thank you for this reminder to us that there is one thing necessary, and I just pray that this morning, Lord, we would truly be sitting at your feet, that we would, our posture before you would be one of a learner, a disciple, one that longs to be fed by you, one that longs to receive from you, Lord. So this is something that I can't produce, and so I just pray that your word, working with the Spirit, would, in my heart and in all of our hearts, convict us where we have opportunity to grow. Lord, I just pray that um, in my preparation, Lord, that this is truly your word for us as a church this morning, just how you're encouraging us. So Lord, let me uh, stand out of the way. Let your Holy Spirit work this morning. God, we want to receive from Christ this morning. We ask in his name, amen. So I wanna start uh, by saying that this uh, text for me this week, preparing for this message, uh, was actually really, really hard. Um, if you've heard me preach before, it's typical, I'll, pre- uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll preach on a topic um, that I'm passionate about. I'm more naturally a doer. I go and do. It's what I enjoy to do. My job is to do. And so I'll pick texts naturally that validate what I do, especially in making disciples of the nations. I get excited about it. I get passionate about it. I can mobilize people and say, let's go and do, because these are great things to do. And I really like that. It really brings me joy. But uh, this text has shown me where I lack. It's shown me what I'm not doing well. And so not even just going through the text, but as I examined my heart this week, I was in the lack. I was needing Jesus uh, more and more throughout the week and just really, really struggled with it. So I'm just being honest with you guys. I just want to uh, share with you what my day looks like to kind of build the context of the story. Uh, every day, uh, our first child gets up usually between 6 or 6.30, uh, and that's when Kate and I will get up. We don't set an alarm, so our first exposure to the day is a kid yelling for us. Uh, We'll get up right away, go right downstairs, start pouring bowls of cereal. The kids kind of trickle down. We keep pouring bowls of cereal while we're trying to unload the dishwasher. We're trying to eat breakfast for ourselves, and we have to make coffee because it's non-negotiable in our lives at this point. Uh, Then I'll jump in the shower, brush my teeth, get ready for work, and I have to drive 45 minutes to work, so I'm in the car, listen to NPR sometimes. Maybe uh, Jackson Brown is my Pandora station right now. Uh, sometimes, once in a while, especially a couple months ago, I actually listened to sermons, uh, which I think is probably good than, or better than Jackson Brown. But um, once I get to my office, I start working 
right away. I start checking in with volunteers. How are things going? I am mobilizing people into this community, so I'm checking up on them. How can I pray for you? What are some things that you need from me? Or I might be logging volunteer hours or just simply trying to figure out how in the heck I'm supposed to coordinate volunteers in general. But whatever it is that I'm doing, um, they're good things. The ministry that God has me in, I trust and believe. They're, it's a good work that I'm doing and God is using me and it's good, right? Then I eat lunch. After lunch, I'll go and teach Somalis uh, how to speak English, albeit mostly unsuccessfully. Uh, but then I might, after that, go and meet with a pastor uh, at a Somali coffee shop. And we'll have coffee there. And maybe there's opportunities to talk to uh, Muslims there and just share the love of Jesus with them. Or whether it's, maybe it's just a, a vision trip for them to kind of get a feel for what refugee ministry might look like. But my day's over. I start my trek home. 45 more minutes in the car, more Jackson Brown and NPR. And I get home, and my kids are waiting for me. They haven't seen me all day. They're excited that dad's home. So we go and we ride our bikes around the cul-de-sac or we play soccer or whatever it is. Uh, but we spend time together, and that's, that's good. And Kate's uh, usually making dinner, and then we'll sit down together as a family and eat dinner. Uh, after dinner, we might watch like a magic school bus or a leapfrog or something on Netflix together. And then uh, sometimes we'll get them in the shower, not usually, but then we'll get their jammies on. And we sit on the floor together in the room, and we'll read a, a, a chapter of the Bible together, and we'll pray, and I'll have the kids pray. And that's a good thing, I think. Um, and then after about an hour of yelling at the kids to get back into bed, it's about 9 or 9.30, and then we're tired. We crashed. It's been a long day. We got up early. We're going to bed late. Not really that late, but uh, we go to bed, and then the next day we start it all over. So that's what my day looks like. In the last two years, uh, I've spent thousands of hours serving the Somali community, serving them, meeting their needs, pointing them to Jesus. And, and these are good things. I believe that. The things that I'm doing are good things. But as I have looked through my schedule this week, I've seen what I've missed. I've seen where I've lacked. And so as I look through my days and the way I'm spending my time living and doing ministry of it, many times in the name of doing good things, missed out on the best thing. And as we'll see in this text, is just simply sitting at the feet of Jesus, receiving from him. My personal devotion time has often succumbed to the busyness of life and ministry. Like Martha, this has caused me to be distracted from Jesus, anxious and troubled in my heart. So I want you to know that as we go through this text, I'm not preaching it as one who has this figured out. It's actually quite the contrary. I have so far to go before I really apply the truths of this text to my life. So uh, know that. I don't, I don't have it figured out. I don't know where you're coming from. Maybe you're more like Martha. Maybe you're more like Mary. But I hope that for all of us, that we'll be encouraged with this text this morning. So with that said, we're going to dig into Luke ch chapter 10 here. Um, Jesus at this point in his ministry is rather famous. He's pretty well known. Uh, Luke records several times up to this point. Something like this. Uh, reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding Region. So people knew who Jesus was. They had heard about him or maybe seen firsthand the miracles that he was doing, how he could heal sick people, how he could cast out demons, how he could calm storms with just, with just a word, and how he could make a leper clean. And he had just sent out the 12 apostles too, right? In Luke chapter 10, he sends the 12 out and then he sends out the 72 others to proclaim the kingdom of God to the cities that he'd be traveling through. So people had heard of Jesus. They knew him. And so as Jesus, as Jesus went into this town, 
he was welcomed by a woman named Martha into her house. Now, from this text, we don't know what town it is, but from John chapter 11, uh, we know that Martha and Mary and Lazarus, who are all siblings, lived in Bethany, which is a town. It's about a mile and a half outside of Jerusalem. So we're in the southern region of Judea. And it wasn't uncommon for Jesus to be invited into people's homes, right? We have a lot of accounts of Jesus eating with people. And it wasn't uncommon for Jesus to spend time among women either, right? Um, Luke chapter 8, verse 3, we read that many women were traveling with Jesus and ministering to Jesus out of their own means. And so, unlike a lot of the religious teachers at the time, Jesus very much respected women, invited them in to be his disciples, to learn from him. And our story here in Luke 10 gives us a picture of that, that Mary was sitting at his feet, uh, just soaking in his teaching, is a picture that Jesus saw men and women as equals and respected both men and women as his disciples. But though this is true, this is not the main context of this passage. It's not mainly about women or about uh, how a woman ought to maintain her home or about hospitality even. This text has everything to do with the priorities of a disciple of Jesus. And that's any disciple, whether a man, a woman, or a child. So this text, so you know, applies to all of us here. Us men don't kind of get an out on this. This applies to all of us. So Martha welcomes uh, Jesus into her home, and she begins preparing a meal. While she's busy with many things and preparing this meal, she notices her younger sister Mary uh, just sitting there at the feet of Jesus, learning from him, enjoying him, and not helping her, right? And so she gets frustrated. She gets upset with her not helping. So we, we can empathize with Martha in this, right? I mean, she, there's all these people here. So we're not clear if it's just Jesus or Jesus and his apostles. I'm inclined to think that they were all there. Um, but she's just wanting to be a great host, right? She's wanting to be hospitable to Jesus and to serve him. And she felt that Mary should have that same posture, right? She should be helping out. So she went, Martha went up to Jesus and was a bit frustrated and frazzled. I can imagine she's trying to do all of these things. And uh, she'd had enough of Mary's lack of helping. So she went to Jesus and said, Lord, don't you see what's going on here? Don't, don't you care about this? My sister's just sitting here while I'm doing all the work. Would you tell her then to help me? So I think we can pull a couple things from this. Um, first, I think Martha in this story often gets a bad reputation, right? I don't, I don't think here that that's the intention. Martha addresses Jesus as Lord, right? So it's, it's important for us to know that Martha is a genuine disciple of Jesus. She absolutely loved Jesus and was just trying her best to serve him. That's the posture of her heart. And we know that because John eleven twenty six 26 says, uh, this is Martha's proclamation that, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. So it's not an issue of Martha trying to earn her acceptance before Jesus. She is a true disciple of his. And honestly, from everything that we've been reading through Luke, we can understand why this would be her posture. Because at the core of Jesus' teaching is do what I say, right? Do what I tell you to do. Luke 6.46 says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? And he goes on to compare someone who doesn't do what he says as someone who builds a house without a foundation, right? So when troubles come, when trials come, that house crumbles. So Martha certainly doesn't want to be the house that crumbles. So I, I really believe that her serving of Jesus was the way that she felt she was most honoring to him and following his commands. And a second observation here is that uh, Martha is surprisingly bold in her approach of Jesus to Jesus, isn't she? So her, her statement, tell her then 
to help me is a presumption that Jesus agreed with her first statement, which it seems clear he didn't. But what's beautiful here is the way that Jesus responds to her. He's not angry. Uh, he's, he's not frustrated with her. He rebukes her gently. He knows what's going on in her heart, that she is anxious, that she is frustrated. And then honestly, she's just trying to do her best to serve him. And she feels like Mary should be doing the same thing. Where uh, Martha went wrong was that she thought that serving Jesus was more uh, important or superior to, be, superior to being served by Jesus. So I think that this story too, where it's, it's located in Luke, is significant. We're going to take a little break here. Um, Jesus had been teaching a lot about doing, right? There's a lot of his message that's do, go and do, go and do, follow my commands. So he had just sent out his disciples to preach and to heal and to do, and his teaching was to go and do. And so as Martha understood it, the priority of being his disciple was serving him, right? Was doing, was obeying him. So you would think that Jesus would respond in this way. You know what, Martha, you're right. Mary should be helping you because that's the priority of being my disciple. It's serving me, it's obeying me, but that's not how Jesus responded, is it? Instead, he says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. So in all of the things that Martha was trying to do to serve Jesus, none could compare to Mary's posture before him sitting at his feet. Martha was distracted by the the good things that she was doing, but had lost sight of the best things. So the main point of Jesus's uh, rebuke to Martha, I think is this, that receiving from him is better than giving to him. Receiving from Jesus is better than giving to Jesus. Mary was sitting at Jesus's feet, soaking in his teaching, receiving from him, being ministered to by him. And in contrast, Martha was busy and distracted trying to serve him. And Jesus clearly commends the one over the other. So from this, uh, from my statement, Jesus, uh, receiving from Jesus is better than giving to Jesus. We're going to ask three questions from this text to kind of uh, explore this a little bit. The first question is this, what is the one thing that's necessary? Jesus said, in contrast to the many things that you're doing, there's only one thing that's necessary. So what is that one thing? The second is, what is the good portion? Jesus commends Mary for choosing the good portion. So what exactly is that? And then the third question is, what does Jesus mean when he says it won't be taken away from her? So those are the three questions that we're going to explore. The first, uh, what is the one thing necessary? Well, we need to qualify first. Necessary for what? Right? What is he implying? I think what he's implying is that uh, there's only one thing necessary to be my disciple. And in contrast to the many things Martha was trying to do to be his disciple, Jesus says there's only one thing, and the one thing that that is is the thing that Mary chose, which was to sit at his feet, to delight in his teaching, to delight in his presence. We know that Martha wasn't delighting in the presence of Jesus. She was distracted from Jesus by trying to serve Jesus. Her serving produced anxiety and a troubled heart. And Jesus confirms here that that ought not to be. Our serving of Jesus should never keep us from him. It shouldn't lead us to anxiety or a troubled heart. And it shouldn't lead us to be angry with others around us who aren't doing the same things that we're doing, right? And so if it does, I think it's probably an indication that there's something wrong with our priorities. 
So does this mean then uh, for us that we just sit and read the Bible all day long and neglect everything else that we're supposed to do? Well, certainly not. We all have responsibilities. We all have jobs. We all have families. We're all called to obey the word of God, but our time sitting at the feet of Jesus needs to be our priority. Jesus himself was often busy, right? There were crowds that were pressing in, in around him. He would be up late, night after night, teaching and healing, meeting the needs of the people. But we see Jesus always withdrawing to spend time with the Father, didn't he? And he commends Mary here likewise for withdrawing from doing to sit at his feet. So what I, I get from this is that the single most uh, important defining characteristic of a true disciple of Christ is a delighting in the presence and teaching of Jesus. Delighting in the presence and teaching of Jesus. I think that's exactly what Jesus is communicating here. Martha, you're doing all of these things, but all you need to do right now is just one. Just listen to me. Enjoy my company. Don't be troubled over the many things that you're trying to do for me. There'll be time to make a meal later, but right now I'm with you and I want to refresh you and I want to minister to you. So receive me first because that is better and it won't produce this anxiety. So when it is time to serve, it will be done from Christ and through Christ and won't lead to anxiety or being distracted. So choosing to sit at the feet of Jesus first before serving him ought to define us as his disciples. Now, I want to interject here. Does this mean that we're going to do this perfectly? Well, uh, I don't think so, um, because there's actually not a standard that we can meet to, to measure how good we are at sitting at the feet of Jesus, because it's not primarily a time issue. It's primarily a heart issue. I think there's a question that we can ask of ourselves to indicate where we're at in this. And it's simply, do we long to spend time with Jesus? soaking in his word. Like I mentioned, Martha is a true disciple. She's absolutely a true disciple of Jesus and was just missing the mark, misprioritizing. And I think that we can be true disciples and miss the mark. We can misprioritize for days or weeks or even months. And all the while we can be doing good things for the Lord, right? I think Jesus and his encouragement for us this morning is to return to the one thing that is necessary, so if you're like me, uh, some of you might be thinking, okay, so what you're saying is I need to add something to my schedule, right? I'll probably have to set my alarm a half an hour earlier or something. I have to add to my schedule to fit this kind of thing in. But I think that for me, this attitude comes from not truly understanding or having experienced what happens when we do make Jesus our priority, when we do make sitting at his feet our priorities. So these next two questions, I think, will kind of unpack the, the why to this. Why is sitting at Jesus at his feet, uh, why it's good to make that our priority? So the second question then is, what is the good portion? The first question is, what is the one thing necessary? It's sitting at his feet that is better, receiving from Jesus is better than serving him because it's the only thing that's necessary to be his disciple. The second question is, what is the good portion? By choosing to sit at the feet of Jesus. Mary chose the good portion. And the wording here of good portion would likely have brought uh, scripture to mind of his Jewish audience. A portion was something that was given or distributed to or chosen. Uh, it could be an inheritance from a family member or from the Lord himself. Uh, sometimes it referred to land. Sometimes it referred to possession. Sometimes uh, to animals. But sometimes it referred to the Lord himself. In Numbers 18.20, 
uh, as God is uh, apportioning the land to the different tribes of Israel, to Aaron he says, you shall, you shall have no inheritance in the land, neither shall you have a portion among them. And why? Because I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. And then throughout the Psalms, the writers would declare that God himself, that he was their chosen portion. In Psalm 16, 5, it says, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup, you hold my lot. In Psalm 119, 57, it says, the Lord is my portion, I promise to keep your words. Psalm 142, 5 says, I cry to you, O Lord, I say to you, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. So what these writers had discovered through their experience of God was that he was the only portion that could satisfy the longing of their hearts, that he was better than any earthly portion, that nothing could compare to the goodness of God. Whom, I, whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's Psalm 73, 25, and 26. They're saying, it doesn't matter what I have on earth. God, you are better than anything else I could receive. So ultimately then, by sitting at the feet of Jesus and therefore choosing the good portion, Mary in this moment has chosen Jesus above all other things. Let's look again at Psalm uh, 119.57. It says, The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. So what do we see here is the natural outflow then from sitting at the feet of Jesus and therefore choosing the good portion. Well, the psalmist says, I promise to keep your words. When we're certain of what we have in our portion in Christ, when we know how good our portion is, when we know that our portion in Christ is the only thing that will satisfy the longing of our hearts, how could we respond in any other way? Lord, you have done so much for me. You're my portion. You're the only thing I want. How could I do anything but obey your word. But how do we make sure that our obedience is from the posture of treasuring the Lord as our portion? By sitting at the feet of Jesus, right? By receiving from him, from his word first, by being ministered to by Jesus from his word first, and by hearing all that Christ has done for us in the gospel and all that he has for us for eternity. Jesus has done everything for us, right? Right? Though he knew no sin, he became sin for us and bore the wrath of God on our behalf. He suffered the death that we deserved. He fully atoned for our sins. He completely absorbed the wrath of God for us. But he didn't stay dead, right? He rose from the grave. He conquered death. He defeated sin and he was raised up and we can be raised with him, right? That is good news. That should compel us, right? We should respond in faith and receiving from Jesus is better than giving to Jesus because when we receive from him first, we're choosing the good portion. We're choosing an inheritance and ultimately we're choosing Christ. Our third question then is, what does Jesus mean when he said the good portion will not be taken from her? I think this is easy now that we've identified Christ as our good portion. Uh, listen and receive this good news from Romans 8, 38 and 39. It says, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is good news. God loves us so much, and he loves us so much that he wants us to know there's only one thing necessary for us to be his disciples, and that's just to receive from 
him, to receive him. He is offering himself to us. He is the good portion. And when we choose to sit at his feet, we are receiving the good portion and nothing can separate us from that. Nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. As I was preparing for this, this made me think of the persecuted church. There are people around the world that for their love of Jesus are being killed, are being tortured in ways that I don't even want to imagine. And in many ways, their aggressors take everything from them. They might burn their homes. They might kidnap their children, kill their children. They may rape their wives, take their wives, kill their wives. They may kill their husbands. In some ways, they take everything from them. But there's one thing that can't be taken. And I'm certain that the only way that anyone can can endure this kind of persecution is by having received from Christ first. They have found certainty in the promises of God, knowing that they have an inheritance in Christ that is far greater than anything that they can have on this earth. And their aggressors can never take that from them. It's not their good works in that moment that sustains them. It's not their good works that keeps them. It's not what they have done for God that keeps them. It's what God has done for them that sustains them. So receiving from Jesus is better than giving to Jesus because what we receive cannot be taken from us. Our works, on the other hand, actually can be taken from us. In 1 Corinthians 3, verses 13 through 15, we get a picture of how our works will be tested someday. It says that each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it was revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, so he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So if our works are not built up on the foundation of Christ, they'll be burned up. They'll count for nothing. They'll be exposed for what they really were, selfish ambition. But again, how do we make sure, how do we suppose that our works are founded on Christ, built up on Christ? How about we receive from Jesus first? How about we be ministered by him in his word and listen to him and soak in his teaching? I'm convinced that when we make sure that we receive from Christ first, that the works that will follow from that will more likely be founded in him. And it it makes sense, I think, right? By receiving from him first, by letting uh, sitting at the feet of Jesus be our priority, we ultimately are given our good portion, Jesus, who can't be taken from us and, and through him, through him and through our connection with him, then we serve in a way that glorifies God. And this is a serving not just in uh, ministry-oriented things. This is a serving in your family, right? This is a serving in your job. This is a serving in the normal things of life. You cannot serve with the power of God unless you're connected to God first, right? So I'd encourage you in your time of sitting at the feet of Jesus uh, to go to John 15 and read all about how connecting, being connected to the vine is foundational. That will supplement what we're learning here this morning. So I hope that you can see why receiving from Jesus is truly uh, better than giving to Jesus. And I, I also hope that you see that by prioritizing receiving from Jesus first, ministry to Jesus will be done, but it'll be done in a way that truly brings glory to God. It'll be done in a way that d- doesn't distract us from Christ. It'll be done in a way that doesn't produce anxiety or a troubled heart. So I would uh, encourage you all and myself First, again, I struggle with this. If sitting at the feet of Jesus has slipped down the list of your priorities, we need to know that we're, we're missing out. 
We're missing out. We're choosing the lesser portion. And I would love for us as a church to take tangible steps forward in making sitting at the feet of Jesus our priority. And I think the first thing we ought to do is, is pray, right? We need to pray for our hearts. I need to pray for your heart. We need to pray for all of our hearts that we would long for this because it's a heart issue. It's not my desire that we would all leave from here with a burden of great. Now I've got to add something else to my schedule. That's not the point. The point is that you would leave with a desire to truly meet with Jesus, that you would have a longing for that. And that in the times that you do meet with Jesus, that it would be so overwhelmingly satisfying that we would say, I desire nothing on earth but you. You are my portion. So I hope that for you and for me, I know it has been for me, God has used a story to draw me back to himself, drawn me back to the one thing that is necessary. And I hope that through your life groups, you're able to share with each other and encourage each other in ways that you have been ministered to by Christ. I think it's good to encourage each other and build each other up in that. And if you aren't uh, currently regularly sitting at the feet of Jesus, why don't you commit with me to get started in this thing? Let's carve out time and our schedules to retreat from the many things that we're doing to go back to the one thing. There's probably things in your schedule that really honestly don't matter. I know there is in mine. We stay very busy. There's things that we can cut out. There's things that we need to cut out to be uh, more attentive to Christ, to have that time. So let's carve out that time. Maybe that's early morning. Maybe that's at a lunch break. We can retreat from the many things and concentrate on the one thing. And I don't want us to think of what we have to give up, right? What, what are we giving up to make this happen? I want us to think, what am I missing out on? What am I losing by not doing this? I know in my own heart, honestly, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited that God met me where I was at in such a gracious way to say, Scott, Scott, I know that you're anxious about many things. I know that you're busy doing these many things, but he gently reminded me where I needed to be. And I hope that this morning, uh, that if you're struggling with this too, if you're more naturally a Martha and you're not prone to just sit at the feet of Jesus, that right now you would hear his voice calling you back to the one thing that matters, that he's calling you to sit at his feet, to be ministered to by him because receiving from Christ is better than giving to Christ. Father, you are, you are good. Your gospel is good. Thank you for Jesus Thank you for the ministry that he has done on our behalf. God, thank you that you gently remind us that sitting at the feet of Jesus is better than anything that we can ever do for you. That being ministered to by Jesus is the most important thing. So God, I just pray for our hearts right now. I pray that you would give us a longing to be in the presence of Jesus, receiving his teaching and instruction at at his feet, God, give us that longing in our hearts so this isn't just a legalistic one hour that we spend a day with you or a half an hour, Lord, but that our hearts would be refreshed and filled up in those times. Lord, thank you for your love and your patience and your kindness. Father, we love you so much. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.